Good morning. I love the church. I love Jesus. I love Christianity. Uh, I really love all of you. Uh, I love that my job is to be a preacher. I really like my job. I've said often, I don't want to go get a real job. I like doing this instead. This is good. Okay, and so while I do love the church, I want you to allow me for just a moment to complain. Okay, allow me for just the next couple of minutes to tell you just a few of the things that bother me about modern Christianity. Number one, it bothers me how the church has become a commodity that we market to consumers. Okay, rather than people devoting themselves to a church for the cause of discipleship and making that church their family, what we do is we say, well, what services and goods does your church offer me? And I'm going to stay at your church until the next church down the street offers me something better. Okay, we make it so that churches compete against each other for members rather than focus on the mission of God. Okay, that bothers me. Number two, it bothers me when I listen to Christian radio. I know that's my own doing, but when my kids are in the car, there's not a whole lot else I want them to listen to, so I turn on Christian radio, and it bothers me that so many of the songs and so much of the conversation is so shallow and generic and syrupy sweet. It's kind of like the ultimate forced smile, okay? And it bothers me. Number three, another thing that bothers me is how so many of us modern Christians think that everything is about us. Okay, for instance, someone will read scripture and they'll say, well, I think the story of Daniel in the lion's den is about God wanting me to get a cat. No. No, it isn't. It's not about you. Okay, or I, I literally heard this girl say this one time. She said, I was going to go to Wendy's, but then I really felt like God was leading me to McDonald's. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I can't really say, but I don't think that you need to blame God for you wanting a Big Mac. It's really okay. Not everything is about you and your spirituality. The whole world doesn't revolve around you. Hard as that is for us to believe, right? It bothers me. Okay, and there are several other things I could list this morning on my list of things that bother me. Don't get me started on the Christmas season or politics or the way we use social media. But the thing that bothers me the absolute most about modern Christianity, the thing that's my biggest gripe, my gripe to end all gripes, is that so many modern Christians have a terrible theology of suffering. And many well-meaning Christians will pull Scripture verses completely out of context, trying to offer comfort to somebody, but instead doing more harm than good. And I tell you all of that this morning because in our sermon series, we finally get to the most abused, the most taken out of context verse in maybe the entire New Testament. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All right, here's how this works. Okay, Monday night, six days ago, uh, Rachel spent the evening doing therapy with her clients, and so I was at home alone with the boys. So far, so good. Sam decides he needs to go potty. He says, Dad, I got to go potty. That's great. Go potty, son. 
And he's at this stage in life where he wants to do everything all by himself. So he doesn't want me going in there with him. He wants to go all by himself. That's all great and wonderful. So I hear him go in there. I hear him do his business. I hear him flush. And then the next thing I hear is him going, uh-oh, that's not good. So I go in there and see that the toilet is overflowing all onto the hardwood. And Sam is sitting in the middle of a big puddle of ever-widening water doing this, just splashing. And he looks up at me and he goes, Daddy, I made a mess. <laughs> yeah, you did. So now I'm wondering, what do I do about this? Do I wade in after him and get wet and soaked? Uh, do I see if he can't maybe take off his own clothes in there by himself? Uh, you know, Rachel will be home in an hour. Can he wait till then? <laughs> so I go in there. I get soaked. He's already soaked. The bathroom's soaked. Everything is just completely drenched. I pick him up. As soon as I pick him up, I hear ding. It's the oven timer telling me if dinner doesn't come out right now, it's going to get burned. And I'm holding a sopping wet child. What do you do? Okay, any of you ever been there before? Any of you ever have days like that? You ever have days where everything is going wrong, you can't get any traction, and nothing works? All right, now, some people, some what I would consider poor interpreters of Scripture would say, don't worry about any of that because we know that God is working in the overflowing toilet and in the burned dinner and the soaked kid because God is working in all things. And if you just had eyes to see, you would see all the good that God is going to get out of all of that bad. In some way that you just can't see right now, God is going to get glory out of your overflowing toilet. Our hypothetical theologian, wanting to make everything all better, might at this point offer an anecdotal story to support this theology. Of course, this only works if you use your perfect 2020 hindsight where we can see how God worked it all out. For instance, I could tell a true story about how once upon a time I had a really disappointing day because I got a call from a church telling me, this was years ago by the way, telling me that I did not get a preaching job that I really wanted. Okay? And I was sad about that. I was sad because the church, the search committee had told me, you're the guy when you're ready to move, we're going to come help you move. Uh, the staff of the church told me, hey, you're the guy, you're coming, it's going to be great. I was getting all excited about it, and then I get a call from one of the shepherds saying, hey, by the way, we like the other guy better. Okay? But a few months later, I get a call from Randy Garner on a Sunday afternoon, waking me up for my Sunday afternoon nap, asking me to send a resume to GCC. Here we are, and in 2020 hindsight, I can see we are much better off here than we would have been if we'd have taken that other job. God worked it all out, took care of me better than I would have taken care of myself had it all been up to me, right? If only we could see that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. If only we could see how God will use our suffering for his good, we would handle all of our suffering so much better, right? So what could possibly be wrong with that theology? Is that not how it works? Is that not what Romans 8.28 means? Why am I repeatedly using my sarcastic voice this morning? <laughs> is it not true that God is working in all the stuff? All right, well, there's a couple of problems with this 
uh, that I want to share with you this morning. And then I want to tell you what I think is really going on in Romans chapter 8, uh, because I think we do something wrong with this text that we do with a lot of texts of Scripture. I think we put ourselves at the center of the universe. We make everything about God working, everything about me, and we lose sight of what God is doing in a bigger way. All right, so here's my first problem with the way we typically use this verse in Romans 8. My first problem is we unintentionally minimize other people's suffering. You know, if you go to someone who's hurting, all right, and I'm talking about any level of hurting. I'm talking about if it's someone who's got a flat tire on the side of the road or it's someone who's just lost their dearest loved one in life. Anything in between those two levels of suffering. Any level of suffering. If you go up to someone who's suffering and you quote to them Romans 8.28, you're basically telling them that their tragedy is not that big of a deal or even worse, you're telling them, well, don't worry because it's all part of God's plan. Now, Maybe their suffering isn't that big of a deal. And maybe God is going to use that suffering for something truly amazing. But our God doesn't cause evil. And often our suffering is very, very real. Okay, Romans 8.28 is not teaching that bad things should be minimized or that they're not that big of a deal. All right, and I don't know how to talk about this point without making it personal. Okay, but I remember uh, when Luke was in the hospital and he was taking some hits to his brain. Okay, and we were talking with the doctors about how Luke's brain would probably never work like ours does. Okay, he's probably always going to have some challenges that the rest of us in life don't have to face. Okay, and I remember someone who really wanted to cheer me up telling me over and over again, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we didn't know if Luke was going to live or die. And I remember saying, you don't know that. You don't know how this is going to work out. It may not be okay. The rest of our lives are adjusted to a new normal. If okay is the absence of pain, then we will probably never reach a complete state of okay. If you told me then, and if you tell me now, that watching my kids struggle is all just great and wonderful because in all things, God works for the good, that God is going to use that struggle for great things in his kingdom, okay, if you said that to me then, and if you say that to me now, I'm likely to say something back to you I'll have to repent for later. Okay, Romans 8, 28 is not teaching that every struggle or tragedy is really a good thing in disguise. It's not teaching that in every bad thing, God is really bringing you a blessing if only you could see it. Okay, do not minimize someone else's suffering with Romans 8.28. Okay, but here's what we do as people. All right, we want to make things better. If we see someone suffering, if we see someone going through a hard time, we want to comfort them. We want to make it okay. We, we see their grief as something they either need to get through or get over, and we see our job is to help them do that. Okay, That's not our job. Scripture tells us to learn how to weep with those who weep. Okay, if you see someone suffering, I think there's two things that you can do. All right, I think you can help them in practical ways. Right, If someone's hungry, you provide them food. If they need you to pray for them, you pray for them. If they need you to help them change the tire, help them change the tire. Okay, or you weep with those who weep. 
The job of the Christian is not to cheer everyone up, but it's to join with people where they are and help them draw closer to God. When Mary fell at the feet of Jesus crying because her brother Lazarus was dead, you know what Jesus did? He cried with her. Do we know as Christians how to weep with those who weep? All right. My second problem with this suffering, beyond just the way that it minimizes suffering, is that it leads us to trying to find meaning or trying to find a hidden blessing in each piece of suffering. Okay, don't try to find meaning in an overflowing toilet or a three-year-old that's soaked. Don't try to find the hidden blessing in everything that goes wrong in your life because it will drive you crazy. Okay, and I am firmly convinced that a lot of bad things happen in life just because we live in a broken world. Okay, not because God has some hidden blessing or trying to teach you some lesson. Okay, sometimes bad things happen because I make a bad decision. And I can look at that. I can learn a lesson from it. A lot of times God uses bad things to teach me a lot of lessons. I can grow because of that. But sometimes bad things just happen. You know, especially... Don't try to find meaning or lessons in more serious sufferings like the loss of a loved one or a life-threatening illness or the deep sorrows that people experience through addictions or poverty or persecution. Okay, imagine if you would for a minute that you see a man and he's just fled from ISIS, right? ISIS just came through his country and destroyed everything in his life. He's lost his job, he's lost his home, he's lost his church. Okay, they've killed his wife and children. And as he's sitting there crying about how he has lost everything in life, can you imagine walking up to him and saying, don't worry, God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And if you could only see how God is going to use your dead wife and kids for his glory, you'd feel better. It sounds silly when we say it that way. And yet that's exactly what a lot of well-meaning Christians say to suffering all the time. Okay, a lot of evil in the world exists just because the world is broken. We read the opening pages of Scripture and we see the world is broken. All of creation is groaning as it waits for God's final redemption. Okay, that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago and it really can be that simple. Now, Can God use bad things for good? Absolutely. We could think of countless examples this morning in which God took something bad and got good out of it. Does God do that? Yes, all the time. But that's not why it happens. Have you learned a lot from your past sufferings? Yep. Has God turned a lot of bad things in the world into opportunities for his kingdom to advance? Yes. Does that mean that God causes the suffering? No. You know, I heard a lady on the radio early this week, again, listening to my favorite Christian radio station. Um, but I'm listening to her and she's talking. She called in and she said that God had been faithful to her over the last several years of her life. And the host asked, well, what have you gone through over the last several years of your life? And she said, well, my husband got this horrible disease and he passed away, leaving me with an infant and a toddler. And they have grown up now for the last decade not knowing their father. But, and here's where she lost me. Here's where I almost drove off the road. She said, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because God has been faithful. Really? 
given the choice of having your kids have their daddy and having your husband at home with you, you wouldn't go back and have that as your choice because you like the way God's been faithful to you. That's really what you're saying. Now, I have no doubt that God has been extremely faithful to that woman. I have no doubt that she's gotten comfort that the world can't possibly understand because our God is a good God and he loves us in spite of the stuff that we go through. Okay, and he loves us especially in the stuff that we go through. Okay, but that's not the reason that it happens. Okay? Don't make God into a monster. I think that when we use Romans 8.28 to either minimize suffering or to indicate that we should find a hidden blessing in every bad thing that happens, I think we totally miss what Paul is doing in this text. All right, I want you to notice the ending of Romans 8, starting with verse 28 and noticing how he ends this chapter, but especially remember what we talked about a few weeks ago about how all of creation is groaning. Creation is broken because mankind fell from grace. We sinned. We messed up God's perfect creation. He's put his covenant in place to redeem us. And in the meantime, all of creation, us, the Holy Spirit itself, is all groaning as we await God's final redemption. Okay, notice then verse 28. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, every summer, uh, we would take a week and we would go visit my dad's parents, my grandparents in South Arkansas. We were taking a trip to grandma's. Okay, and just because of the way we stopped a lot and uh, my parents are fairly slow drivers, uh, it took us eight hours in the car to get from Oklahoma City to where my grandparents lived in South Arkansas. So every summer for eight hours, I had to endure sitting in the back seat with my two sisters. Okay? I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Before we would start these trips, I knew uh, that there would be periods of time where my sisters would be bothering me and I would be suffering. I also knew there'd be periods of time where we'd be having a lot of fun and we'd really enjoy ourselves and the whole family was there together and we would have a lot of fun. 
I also knew there'd be periods of time on the trip where it would just be monotonous and not much would happen at all. Okay? I didn't know how exactly the trip was going to progress, whether the fun would outweigh the bad or whether the bad would outweigh the good or whether it would just be monotonous the whole time. I didn't know, but I did know two things. I knew dad was driving and I knew that ultimately this trip was going to end at grandma's house and that was a great place to be, right? I tell you that this morning because I think what Paul is doing in this section of Romans chapter 8 is he's basically giving us a summary of his covenant theology that he's worked out in chapters 5 through 8. He's telling us that God has chosen us to be his people. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we get to be part of the covenant people of God. And God is taking us to our final destination. We are going to the promised land in which God will redeem all of creation. He will conquer death and he will establish his eternal kingdom. We know where we're going. We get to be on this journey with God because of the death, the burial, and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. Because we are part of that covenant, because Jesus himself intercedes for you and me, there is absolutely nothing that can ever separate you from God. So on this journey of your life, you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to go through some suffering. You're also going to go through some periods of joy. A lot of the journey is going to be pretty monotonous. Okay, sometimes you'll be able to see that God is working in all of that stuff. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes it's going to make a lot of sense. Sometimes it won't. Okay, but no matter what you face on your journey, no matter what you endure in your life, you know two things. One, God is driving. And two, ultimately it's going to end in glory, and that's pretty awesome. All right, if you only hear me say one thing this morning, let it be this. I think this is the real meaning of the end of Romans chapter 8. Okay, and this makes a whole lot more sense to me than trying to find a blessing or a lesson in every piece of suffering. Right? God is taking us on a journey to a fully redeemed kingdom, and nothing can stop it. If you are a Christian, you already know how your journey will end, and absolutely nothing can threaten that. Okay, so I don't have to make sense of an overflowing toilet. Okay, or more seriously, I don't have to make sense of the loss of a loved one or major wars or catastrophes or any of the things that happen just because we live in a broken world. Okay, sometimes bad things just happen. I do know that my God loves me. We are on a journey to his fully redeemed kingdom thanks to the blood of Jesus and nothing can take that away from us. All right, here in just a moment, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love the opportunity to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Ultimately, this next song is a time for us to be here for you. And before we sing that song, I'd like to speak a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.